scriptures, Lord, the truth that we find, uh, the wisdom, Lord. Um, but Father, what you're beginning to speak to us is that it's you that we're looking to find more than anything else, Father, uh, in your word. And I thank you tonight for showing us and teaching us and revealing to us, Lord, what only you know and what only you can show. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, just really one announcement, communion this Sunday. We always look forward to that and uh, believe in God for um, a good time together as we worship and celebrate together on this Sunday. Amen. All right. Um, I'm not sure we're, uh, we're changing. Amen. I don't know what's up with that, Marcos. Marcos is doing double duty. I, um, Sister Christie's receiving a healing tonight, so... Uh, Amen. I have it. I just, um, you might have to turn it over to me back there. I don't know. So, Amen. It's locked up. Amen. Let's go to James while he works on that. Let's go to James chapter 2, verse 17 and um, 18, a passage that we've turned to a few times already. But it says, Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. And we explained a little more in detail on this last week. There was a a big dispute over, you know, works versus faith. And these two are not opposed to one another, but they're designed by God to work hand in glove with one another. The Weymouth translation says, faith without corresponding actions is dead. That got it right there, Mark. Thank you. You're a genius, brother. Appreciate you. So the Weymouth translation says, faith without corresponding action is dead. And we've made this point a time or two. We're going to add a little something to it tonight. So the point is this. There's no such thing as effortless love. And there's no such thing as effortless faith. But love is more than effort. And faith is more than effort. Just trying, again, to find a way to share with you what I believe the Holy Spirit's saying to us. And this doesn't mean that we throw one or the other out the window. Um, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, by the Holy Spirit, you know, you can do all these acts of love and still not have love. Which means we can do all kinds of acts of faith but not have faith. So no such thing as effortless love, no such thing as effortless faith. But we all know that love is more than effort. There's something internal about it, right? Something in the heart about it. So what we do outwardly by faith must be in response to what we've already believed inwardly. Outward actions that express a genuine inward faith are powerful and will move mountains. Amen. But it must be faith first and then works in response to that or as an expression of it. Now, we've said that our minds have been conditioned and trained and the Holy Spirit with the Word of God is reconditioning and retraining our minds, but we tend to try and compensate for weak and wavering faith with human effort and willpower. And it's like when you 
have your way of doing it. I, it's, it's been interesting over the years, um, work days and, and things here uh, with the men. I know when we built this building, we did a, a lot of um, the work on this building ourselves and enjoyed it, and it was a beautiful time. One of the things that I figured out real quick like is you take four men you know, on one project and it's a good chance that all four of them is going to have a different way of, of doing it, you know, their way of doing it, how they've always done it, you know, the, the, you do this first, no, you don't do that first, you do this first, you know, and, and of course it helped us grow together and, and learn how to defer to one another, do what? Yeah, Brother Dabbs, he's with Jesus now, but we, we called him the, the superintendent, he would, a uh, older gentleman who would come and, and, and oversee us, right? And um, so, you know, doing and, and our way of doing something and our way of getting results is something that um, appeals to us. But when it comes to faith, we can never compensate for weak and web- wavering faith with human effort and willpower. That's not to say our effort and our will and endurance are not important as it relates to receiving from God, but the error and the frustration comes into play when we try to substitute or compensate these things for weak and wavering faith. Now, the Bible has a word for human effort and willpower, and that is the word zeal. Let's go to Romans chapter 10, verses 2 and 3. It says, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Zeal is one of those words in the Bible that can speak about something very good, very positive, very beneficial in our lives, but it can also be used to speak of things that can be very negative or harmful or even, um, you know, dangerous to our lives. And I want to just take a minute and explain to you what this word means and where it came from, because I think it'll really provide some basis and foundation for us moving forward and what we're going to develop further tonight. The word zeal here in Romans 10 is from the Greek word zelos, Z-E-L-O-S. And this word comes from a root meaning to be hot or fervent. And it speaks of a passionate and intense devotion. Well, all of those things, you know, I would that you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So there, there is a very important place in our walk with God and in our service to Him and to His people where, you know, this type of zeal, this type of, of, of passion is, is called for and needed and important and I would even say required. We dig deeper down into, though, because this word zealous, Z-E-L-O-S, that comes from this root to be hot, to be fervent, passionate, intense devotion, 
it carries with it a, a slightly different meaning. And the idea behind zealous, is what, which is what we see in verse number 2, it speaks of, and some big words here, just stay tuned, all right? We'll, we'll break it down. It speaks of an honorable emulation of what one considers to be excellent. It involves recognizing a deficiency in one's self, something that we are not doing that we should be doing, something that we don't seem to have that we should have, something that we need and, and, and won't and are going after. It involves recognizing a deficiency in oneself and a tireless effort to supply what is lacking. Now, the world praises this. Somebody who knows what they want and, and they're, by God, they're going to get it. They're going after it. They're going to they're take the tiger by the tail. They're going to make it happen. They're, don't care how much they have to work, don't care how many jobs, you know, all these other things. And, and so, you know, that rugged individualism, that, that American work ethic, ingenuity, so forth and so on. And I'm, I'm not trying to knock that or bash that because, as we've already said, zeal has a very important place in the church, in God's people, in the way we do things and aspiring for excellence and going after things and laying hold of things. And, and so it's, it's the problem that we have, and you can see it in the context of the verse that's on the screen, that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So in this case, these are people who want to be right, who want to have righteousness, who want to live right, who want to have a life that pleases God and ultimately a life that God can bless. But notice that their zeal is misplaced, just like their faith is misplaced, because they're ignorant of God's righteousness and are seeking to establish their own righteousness. What they've been blinded to is a failure to submit to the righteousness of God. Now, in case you haven't picked up on it, I was trying to inflect my voice to, to communicate this. The problem with this type of effort is its focus, which is self. We're talking about self-effort and self-focus instead of submitting to what only God can accomplish in us and instead of our focus being upon Him. Now, let's build on this. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, and we'll begin at verse number 1. Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 1. It says this, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? Now, we're going to look at one of these verses in a minute from the Amplified but if you want to do an interesting study, look, look up this verse or these verses in multiple translations. And a lot of those translations use a lot stronger words than uh, foolish and bewitched, okay? Uh, and based upon the original language, 
the King James and New King James Version here are, are trying to make this, um, uh, you know, user-friendly. You know, like I'm trying to see, I don't see any children in the room. Like, like it literally means stupid. I, amen. I mean, I was uh, working at a, well, one of our houses that we got for sale and, and um, um, man, I started to go over there. I'm, I probably wasn't being led by the Spirit, but it was a dad hollering at his kid, calling him stupid. And I was talking like, man, come on, dude. You got no time for that. You know what I'm saying? Um, so that's not a word we use. We would get corrected, even punished for using that word growing up. So, I'm, But that's what he's talking about here. I mean, it, it's talking about ignorance gone to seed. Like what... Some of the translations are like, what in the world are you thinking? You know, so what's the context? So foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So what's happening to the Galatians? Paul goes into this region and he begins to preach the gospel to people who've never heard the gospel. And then there's also uh, people that, um, you know, were non-Jewish people that are being born again, but then you've also got people who uh, were practicing Jews who have been born again. Uh, And then to compound it even worse, you've got folks who would come in behind Paul and even folks that weren't raised as Jews telling them that if they don't live according to the customs of the Jews that they're not saved. And and we see Paul dealing with that. A lot of the churches that he uh, pioneered and and, and ministered to, and it it was a real problem. And so what's the problem at its core? The problem at its core is moving uh, away from the idea of God's grace is what makes us righteous back to our performance, back to, you know, what we do and, and how we do it uh, in, in order to earn uh, God working miracles among us. And they're, they're thinking here, so before we get to... Um, you know, uh, frustrated or, or looking down on the, on the Galatians, this same mindset still exists uh, amongst God's people today um, in the sense that we, we tend to view salvation, the Galatians and many today tended to view salvation as God giving them a boost, you know, kind of getting them over the hump. But then after they receive salvation... It was kind of like, okay, God, we got it from here. We'll, we'll, we'll take it from here. You, you did for us the part that we couldn't do for ourselves, but now we're going to revert back to uh, doing it uh, ourselves instead of continuing to trust you. Uh, uh, verse number five from the Amplified, there's one phrase in here that really stood out to me. Then does he who supplies you with marvelous... I'm sorry, then does he who supplies you with his marvelous Holy Spirit and works powerfully and miraculously among you do so on the grounds of your doing what the law demands 
are because of your believing in and adhering to and trusting in and relying on the message that you heard. So he's saying, look, there are things that you need from God. There are things that you need to receive from God. Are you going to receive those things on the grounds of your doing or because of your believing? Do you see how they wanted to go back to what we've been simply calling the disciplines and the principles in an effort to earn what God was freely giving to them. Now, we've said this a couple of different ways, but disciplines and principles appeal to our flesh and sense of doing and reasoning. But again, they're no substitute for genuine faith. I know there's some things that we've been saying the last few times that we're together. I'm trying to get to some new stuff tonight. But just remember now, for those of you who weren't here or for those of you who uh, aren't recalling some of the things that we've already covered, there's this tendency on our part to try to work harder at Christian disciplines and faith principles to try and compensate for what is otherwise weak and wavering faith in our lives. And this tendency appeals to our flesh because it's something that we can do. It, it, it's, it's, um, well, I've got a few more things I'm going to say about that along those lines to help reinforce those points. But the other thing, and we haven't said this yet, but one of the main reasons the disciplines and the principles appeal to our flesh is because they offer us a sense of control and a sense of independence. Remember the people in John the 6th chapter, they rode across the sea to find Jesus to get him to tell them how to go back home without him and still do what he did among them. Do you see how that appealed to... Jesus said, you didn't come to me because you want to know me. You didn't come to me because of what the signs you witnessed and put part of yesterday. You're interested in what those signs pointed to. You came because you ate food and your belly was, was filled and now you're hungry again and you want to know how to reproduce this same result without having anything to do, without having to know God, without having to answer to God, any, any of those things. Now, why you would think they're staring Jesus, the Son of God, in the face, and they're not interested in Him. Well, it's because He would require some things of them. He would expect some things from them. Are you seeing this, right? And, and, uh, and their flesh is telling them, listen, ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. Remember, I mean... The different people that, how about John the 8th chapter? You got a group of people who were there when Jesus stood up the religious bullies and, and um, the Bible says that they believed on him, which, you know, we don't know what they believed, but it doesn't mean they were born again, right? And Jesus sees a crack in the door and, and he decides to, led by the Spirit, and begins to speak to them and, and tell them that, you know, whom the Son makes free will be free from sin and and they're like, hold on a second, dude. We, we, we're, not, we're not signing up for any of that. We're Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage to anybody. We don't have any need of being made free. <laughs> you know I mean? They, so you notice now, Jesus is trying to draw them into a, a deeper commitment 
They've recognized him. That word, they believed in him, means they gave him credit for doing stuff they'd never seen anybody do. They they recognized that he was saying things they'd never heard anybody else say. And so there was a level of interest there. And Jesus is trying to use that level of interest to to draw them into what would ultimately be... um, redemption what what would ultimately be them receiving him and the salvation that he came to bring them but the minute he tried to call them in closer and 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 ask for something more from them they balked at that i mean they're like oh no no thank you no we're we're not interested and we see the same thing played out again and again in john the sixth chapter we see it where you know all they're wanting to know is how to do what jesus did so that they can go back home and then anytime they want to do it they can do it and, and not have to listen to him, not have to follow him, not have to put up with him, not have to deal with you, you, you see what I'm saying? That's, that's the flesh wanting to maintain um, its control and its independence. And so th- this, is, this is what happens. Listen to me now. I'm not, I, I'm, I'm talking to a lot more people than sitting in this room tonight. Okay, with, with the internet and, and things that we're learning and, and, and growing and what have you. But I'm, I'm still, though, I'm, I'm not trying to let any of us, I'm, the Lord's speaking to me first about all this, right? Um, and, and things that He's helping me see in, in my own life. But there, there's something about, you know, wanting to understand the principles, want to understand the disciplines. And, and just like the Galatians, it's like, okay, God, I, I thank you for what I know. I'll take it from here. Is that not exactly what Adam and Eve did? I mean, God did everything for them. He created the earth, he, this beautiful garden, everything that they needed in that garden, and then created them and put them in the garden, withheld no good thing from them, told them, there's one tree here that's mine, it's, it's your offering, it's your gift to me, don't touch it, you know? And, um, and so after a little while, I don't know how long they were there, but we don't know that. But at some point they said, okay, God, thank you for everything you've done for us, but we'll take it from here. You know, we, 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 we got this now. And that was ultimately their sin. I mean, they ate the fruit and all that other stuff, but, but the choice was, we're going to do it our way instead of your way. And, and the devil is saying, look, you, you can eat that fruit, and you'll be so much like him, you won't have to listen to him anymore. If he comes in the cool of the evening to, to visit with you, and you'd rather watch reruns on television, you can do that. And, 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 and you'll be like him, and therefore you won't have to answer to him. This is the lie that the devil was telling them. It's the same lie that he tells us. You know, we, we have had, in my lifetime, and, and I'm not saying that it, it, um, it, I'm sure it started before me, but, you know, we talk about in the world the information age. But right alongside the, uh, the world's information age has been the greatest age of teaching in the church in in our history i'm talking about the church of our lord and savior jesus christ in the world there are more people teaching more of god's word to more people today on planet earth than ever before with all the advent of the internet and satellite television and cable television and it's it started with radio right and 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 of course you know as God's great plan and you know think of all the the great teachers that he raised up that um, a lot of the earlier ones are with him now Um, others are 
you know, in their, in their 80s and still going strong. And so, you know, the things that, that we as a generation of the church have been privileged to hear and know, my brother, my sister, please, please don't take that for granted. The, 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 the things that God revealed to the body of Christ just through Kenneth Hagin. You know, we, there's so many of those things that we benefit from that we just take for granted that people have always known and understood. I mean, they've been, they've been in the Bible, but, you know, when, when God raises up a man and, sa- and sends him to the body of Christ, gifts him to the body of Christ and says, now go teach my people faith. We, we know so much. I mean, we've, it's just, it's, it's amazing you know, what we've learned and what we've heard. And to be honest with you, I, I'm not throwing rocks at anybody. I, I'm, you know, one finger's pointing at you, three's pointing back at me, right, or whatever. But based upon all that wonderful teaching that we've had, the church should be doing more, right? And I think part of the reason why is we've, we've taken those principles And we've chosen the principles and the disciplines over the fellowship and the personal walking with God. Are you hearing me? I'm not, I'm just, amen, I'm just speaking to you as God has been showing me and revealing these things to me. And and we've, because again, the principles and the disciplines are things that we can do. We can do. This is somewhere deeper in my notes, but it keeps kind of prompting in my spirit, so I'm going to say it now, okay? Now I'm going to find it, because the way the Lord said me, told me to say it, I need to find this, okay? Are you all right? Amen. Um, all right, we'll get to that. Let me just stay right here for just a minute. That's like, this is a lot of good stuff here, all right? So, because disciplines and principles appeal to our flesh, our, our sense of control, our sense of autonomy, our sense of independence they can quickly then become fodder for human zeal, religious pride, and an errant make-it-happen attitude. And so the question then from the Holy Spirit to all of us tonight is, do you see how potentially deceptive all of this can be? How easily this makes it for us to spiritualize what is really dysfunction? You see, being more disciplined may give you a sense of being more mature, but it's not the same as growing in faith. Reading every book that Brother Hagin's ever written and and studying the principles of faith, do it, it's important. When I graduated high school, that was one of the gifts that I received was every book that Brother Hagin had ever written. Amen. But see, you, you can study the letter of that. You can study the letter of the New Testament just like the Pharisees study the letter of the Old Testament. You can, you can study the letter of, of, a, of a book written by a prophet and just try to extract from it, juice from it, milk from it, whatever, a set of principles. You have the grammar of it, like we said, the letter of it, but miss the spirit of it. Why does, that, why does that appeal to us? Why would, why would modern day people do what 
the, the men and women in John chapter 6 did. Jesus standing right in front of them. They didn't want Jesus. They wanted the principles. They wanted the disciplines. Tell us what we need to do. Tell us how we need to do it. Jesus like, your work is to believe on me. Not interested in that. Tell us what to do. Tell us how to do it, right? We haven't got to that part of this, of this study yet. But it's interesting because when he said, your work's to believe on me, they're like, okay, then what, are you, what sign are you going to perform for us so that we might believe on you? Notice now, they're putting it back on him. If you read between the lines, what they're really saying here is, it's up to you to make us believe. We don't believe on you because you haven't done enough yet to convince us that we should. And then they start trying to use his word, the word of God against him. God gave bread to Moses. God, Moses gave bread to our father. You, know, you see what I'm saying? They start going, oh, sweet Jesus. There's a lot to that because people do that today, right? Listen to me now. Listen to me, please. I've been doing this a long time. I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. But this, what we're talking about right now is at the root of some of the most disappointed, frustrated, with God, angry at God people that I've, that I've ever come across in, I don't know how many, I don't want to try to throw a big number around, but 20, almost 25 years pastor in this church and, and lots of years in church and ministering before that, right? You hear it. I mean, people can't, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. They start talking about how long they fasted, how many people were praying, how many years she taught Sunday school, how many years he was an usher, how many times he read the Bible through. Start pointing out all these disciplines and all these principles and wouldn't even say the word cancer. Just, I mean, just people just bitter, mad at God, right? They feel like God's let them down. And what they don't, what they don't realize, just, oh, sweet Jesus, I'm not listening. What they don't realize is that they just got so focused on the disciplines and so focused on the principles. 7,000 promises in the Bible, I know every one of them. But do you know the one who made the promise? Do you know the one who made the promise? I have no idea how many. I think Brother Keith Moore put the list together. Know how many people? We have people just sometimes will show up at the church. Y'all that church, you got that list of healing scriptures? I'm like, man, we'll get them. I guess, sir. I, I get them for right now. Can I pray for you? Is there anything you need to? No, no, I just, I just, need, them, I just need them scriptures. Okay, well, sir, we have, you know, we're at the church here at 1030 on Sunday. I, I just need them scriptures. You see, because in the scriptures, they think they have healing. See, in the scriptures, they think they have healing. And the thing is, they do, but it's not in the hundred things written on a piece of paper. It's in, the, it's, it's in our Father. He is the God who heals us. It's Him. Man, I got so much good stuff to give you all. It's just like, it's like, it's like fireworks going off inside of me. You really, think about this here for a moment. You, 
You can never have more faith in the promise than you have in the one who made it. See, we, get, we man, we, this is the age of the promise, right? We're, the, we're in the promise age of the church, man. We're finding the promises. We can't, the promise, 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 right? Thank God for all them promises. And yes, every single last one of them are yes and amen. But they all work by faith. And you will never have more faith in the promise than you have in the one who made that promise to you. So do you see how potentially deceptive all this can be? How easily this makes makes it for us to spiritualize our dysfunction. We can be so disciplined. Am I telling you to be undisciplined? Am I telling you to live loose and immoral? No! No! Self-control, all these things, fruit of the Spirit... Every single last bit of that. Read your Bible, study, pray, fast, all of that. But see, the the problem is, though, is when we think that that can somehow compensate. Memorize every 100 of them scriptures. I've said it before, I'll say it again. The people who killed Jesus memorized the Old Testament. They were the most qualified people on planet Earth to know who he was. And they had no idea who he was. Because they were so focused on their disciplines and their principles that they missed their Savior. They missed their Messiah. Notice now, that all gave them the sense of control. Who do you make yourself to be? All those principles and disciplines that, you know, Jesus said, you know, you, I don't, you receive honor from one another. You pat each other on the back could care less about the honor that comes only from God. Now then, here's a statement. I wanted to get to at least to this point, all right? Be careful. This is from the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is the way he told me to say it, and I wanted to go ahead and make sure I said it exactly the way he told me to, okay? He says to you and me, be careful with statements pertaining to walking with God and receiving from Him that begin with, All you gotta do is. Now I know some of you you Bible scholars, okay, and very easy to, well, the Bible says one thing is needed. Yeah, amen. Just hear me though, okay? Because the, the, the attitude behind all you gotta do is it's the same attitude that had them folks rowing across the sea to find out from Jesus all they had to do. Just tell me what I got to do. It's the same attitude behind the rich young ruler. What must I do? Jesus looked at him. He said, well, why do you call me good? You need, to, you need to keep the commandments. Anybody remember what he said? Oh, I've done that since I was a kid. Blind, see us now, self-righteous, right? Oh, well, if that's all you got, I've, I've done that. So what else? So he knew in his heart. Now you say, well, Jesus told him to sell everything he had and come follow him. You do realize that's not a requirement for salvation. Why did he tell that young man that? It's because all of his trust and confidence was in his money. I believe he's in heaven. Some people say he's Barnabas was that man. And I, try, I hope that's a cool story. I wish I could preach it with confidence. I don't know. 
There are those who say that young man was Barnabas and he wound up getting saved and doing great things for the kingdom. Okay. But I guarantee you he thought that he had all that money because he thought he had kept all them commandments. You see in this, right? That he earned it and now he wanted to know what he could do to earn eternal life because when you're rich and you're young and you're powerful, the one thing you don't have that you want is for it to never end. He was a rich young ruler. What must I do? Do you, do you see the attitude here? Be careful with statements pertaining to walking with God and receiving from Him that begin with, all you got to do is. I know that a lot of you in this room are married. Some of you are not, okay? So I'm not trying to leave anybody out or anybody that's watching online, okay? But anybody that tells you when it comes to marriage, all you got to do to keep your wife happy is, okay? So <laughs> relationships don't work that way. Are you following what I'm saying? Fellowship, fellowship don't, don't work that way. Oh, you're getting quiet on me now. Remember, Jesus taught us to pray. We've referred back to this now three times. Jesus taught us to pray, but first made it clear. I saw something. I saw this, Brother Donald, I saw this in a, in a way that I haven't seen it yet. He taught us to pray, but before, remember they asked, they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. And you would think, well, why hadn't Jesus already taught them to pray? Why? Why? You know, why do they have to ask? I mean, certainly prayer is important. And he had taught on the subject. I'm not trying to act like he didn't. But they just point blank asked him. Like John taught his disciples to pray. And so he told them, he did teach them to pray. But before he taught them to pray, he gave them some warnings. He made it clear that they should not expect to be heard because of their much asking or their many words. I believe Jesus told them this and told us this as a warning because He understands our tendency to try and replace genuine faith with human zeal. It's not that Jesus didn't want them to know how to pray. Obviously, He did and He does. He wants you to know how. He wants me to know how. But when it comes to Jesus teaching us how to do, I believe that's why He did it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. If you look very carefully, each, each one of those different phrases in that prayer is a teaching point of prayer. It's an outline. It's, it's a model prayer for, for, for us to follow. And, and, and He presented it to them that way, right, as as pray after this manner because he was he was he was trying to avoid them making it like some checklist let me let me keep reading the point here and I'll come back i believe jesus told us this as a warning because he understood our tendency to try and replace genuine faith with human zeal it was like jesus was saying okay i'm going to teach you how to do it but you can't make the mistake of thinking all there is to prayer is a bunch of words in the right order. 
So that's what the human, that's what, that's what flesh does. That's what, that's what zeal and willpower and, and just tell us what we need to do, that kind of attitude. It's like, okay, he taught us how to do it. Thank you, Jesus, we'll take it from here. Prayer doesn't work with, thank you, Jesus, we'll take it from here. Prayer, like fellowship and communion with, the God, with God, I'm sorry, prayer, like the fellowship and communion with God, it facilitates. Prayer is about fellowship and communion with God, right? It's more than a formula or a static method to be carried out with fleshly rigor. This is going to be a weird way of, of trying to illustrate this, but when we talk about uh, addiction recovery, and as many of you know, it's one of the things that, one of the areas of ministry that the Lord has me very involved in. There's, there's an a approach to uh, addiction recovery, alcoholism recovery, it's called 12-step recovery. And there are some things about modern-day 12-step recovery that I'm, I'm not a super fan of. Um, I understand why they practice, you know, in a group setting, introducing yourself as someone who's an alcoholic or someone who's an addict because in their mindset is, you know, they don't believe you need to ever lose sight of the tendency to go back. And I don't agree with that, though. I don't believe speaking that kind of stuff over you. But the 12 steps in and of themselves are taken from the Word of God. And, um, and, and you know, the, the instructions would be good for any person, even if you've never tasted beer. There's good things for, that you and I could do and practice and live by. But here's my biggest issue, even more so than sitting in a room confessing that you're an alcoholic or an addict, okay? My biggest issue with 12-step recovery is the tendency people have just... You know, just tell me what I need to do. Let me check off these 12 things and get on with my life. And, and, and the reality of it is 12-step recovery is designed to be, be a lifestyle. And, and like one of the last things is I can only keep what I give away. And so it's a, it's a committing of your life to serving God and others, uh, which again is all biblical. But the idea is, you know, People come to it with the, with the attitude of just conforming to the 12 steps, hopefully sooner rather than later, and somehow just because I did this, it's going to just magically make me a whole person again. No, all of that's designed to bring you into right relationship with God, to bring you back into right relationship uh, with, with people that you've hurt and, and, and abused even. Um, and then to bring you back into right relationship with God's purpose for your life. And all that then becomes a lifestyle, see? That's the spirit of it. <laughs> That's the pneuma of it. But we tend, the flesh tends to gravitate towards the letter of it. And the letter does what? It kills. The spirit gives life. Amen. Are you getting anything out of this? Okay, praise God. Let's stand together. Amen. I, I'm so thankful for you. So again, it was like Jesus was saying, okay, guys, I'm going to teach you how to do it, but you can't make the mistake of thinking that all there is to prayer is a bunch of words in the right order. If somebody were to tell me, watch this now, if somebody were to tell me, and I'll use Pam as an example, if somebody were to tell me, look, if, if you want Pam to... Um, 
do this for you. All you have to do is say this or say that. If you, if you, if you want to get Ronnie Croswell to do this for you, then all you got to do is you just tell Ronnie this or you just say that. What are we looking for? We're looking for what, what would I need to do to get Bruce to do this for me. That's not fellowship. That's not relationship. Let me, let me tell you what that is. That's manipulation. Are you seeing this? If I'm trying to figure out what I got to say to Marty and do for Marty and give to Marty to get Marty to do something that I want him to do for me, that's no relationship with Marty. That's me trying to figure out how to push his buttons to get what I want from him. Are you, are you seeing how this, can we spiritualize our dysfunction? So notice now, that's ultimately what those, what must I do Tell me how to do what you did. Basically, what they're saying is, tell me how to manipulate you, God. Tell me what I got to do to get you to do for me what I want you to do for me without having any kind of relationship or fellowship or time with you or whatever. And I'm just going to tell you straight up now, God's not interested in that. He ain't got, he ain't got no time for that. Just like Marty and Bruce and... Brother Ronnie wouldn't have any time from, from once they figured out uh, all I'm trying to do is get something out of them. It's, that's not. But oh, it doesn't. When you're in the throes of your deep devotion and your zeal, and we're going to make this happen, and I don't care how long we have to do it, and all sort of stuff, it, it seems so spiritual. It seems like we're just. Father, you're good to us. Thank you for this time together this evening. Lord, genuine faith. Genuine faith. Unfeigned faith. It's what the Holy Spirit said through the Apostle Paul to Timothy. A faith that's genuine. Lord, not one that's weak and wavering that we're trying to make up for with our own self-effort and zeal and willpower. Father, I ask tonight in closing that you reveal yourself to the men and women that are a part of this time together, Lord. I pray over all of them. Lord, that you would reveal yourself to them in personal and meaningful ways. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Look at me before I say amen. This is for next week, but I, amen. The Lord said this to me today. He said, I'm concerned that my people have become more focused on what they believe than in whom they believe. We've become so focused on what we believe on what we believe, that we've lost focus in whom we believe, right? You ask somebody what they believe, oh, really, you go to that church, what, what do you believe? Well, they can, they can tell you what they believe and what they don't. Really, y'all spirit-filled down there? What do you mean by spirit-filled? You know, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, right? They can tell you, I mean, they tell you right straight up what they believe and 
and what you believe that's wrong. That's not the same as in whom. Paul didn't say, I know in what I have believed. He said, I know in whom I have believed. It's a big difference, right? I'm not saying what you believe isn't important. It is important. But what you believe can never be a substitute for in whom. Amen? All right, and amen it is. You be blessed. Thank you for being here. I'll see, I'll see you all Sunday. Amen. Praise God. I don't think I have any other classes this week or opportunities to, to minister. Blessings, blessings, blessings. Remember communion on Sunday. Bring somebody with you and good things coming.